Welcome back to Burden and Blessing and our Bible study series. Pastor Neil Radical and myself, Nathaniel Mayhew, have been going through a study of the Psalms, not in the order that we find them in the front of your Bibles or in your Bibles, but chronologically. We are working through the period of the life of David right now, last time with, with Psalm 59 and now with Psalm 56, looking at some of the struggles that David had after he was anointed king, but before he actually took that office as Saul tried to hunt him down and kill him. We've been looking at some of the difficulties that have faced David and how he comes to the Lord and places his troubles, his burdens, his trials upon the Lord, trusting in him for deliverance and for mercy. Neil, glad to have you with us this morning. Glad to be here. Looking forward to it. Yes, sir. So, so you, you want to take us in the 56? Sure, that sounds good. You want me to read the whole thing right away? Yeah, well, why don't we? This is, this is a little shorter than our last one. Yes, yes, it is. To the chief musician, set to the silent dove in distant lands, a miktam of David when the Philistines captured him in Gath. Be merciful to me, O God, for a man would swallow me up. Fighting all day, he oppresses me. My enemies would hound me all day, for there are many who fight against me, O Most High. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? All day they twist my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together. They hide. They mark my steps when they lie and wait for my life. Shall they escape by iniquity? In anger, cast down the peoples, O God. You number my wanderings, put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? When I cry out to you, then my enemies will turn back. This I know because God is for me. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Vows made to you are binding upon me, O God. I will render praises to you. For you have delivered my soul from death. Have you not kept my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? So when we looked into this a little bit ago, we looked into that section at the very beginning in the introduction, verse 1, it says that this was something that David wrote when the Philistines captured him at Gath. You want to just give a little bit of background on that section that we read this is from sure. so for for the if you if you if you're following along with us in your in your bibles you may have a cross reference to this section it's in first samuel chapter 21 we looked at verses 10 through chapter 22 the, the first couple of verses there too but you want to summarize that yeah I, you know first of all i think when you look at psalm 59 which we did last time this is when Saul had sent men to David's house, surrounded the house, and killed to kill him in the middle of the night. And this Psalm 56 actually does reference that when they lie in wait for him. And so this Psalm is according to 1 Samuel 21, like you suggested, is showing that this is real shortly after the whole arrow incident with Jonathan, just a couple chapters before. Actually, it's the chapter before in 1 Samuel. And so David's probably only been on the road for a, less than a week, maybe two at most, because he had fled, as we saw in 56, as he got out of that, the Lord got him out of that 
assassination attempt basically from Saul. And now here, uh, as he's fleeing from Jerusalem, from that area, you see he is going to the priests, as we see in 1 Samuel, and he eats from the consecrated bread, and then he goes straight to Gath. And the, and the interesting part, like, like we talked about a little bit, was how it says here in verse 1 that he, they captured him in Gath, but the section from 1 Samuel 21 says that he went there, and then that's where he pretended madness before the king of Gath, King Achish. So what's interesting is how... How do you rectify these two things with the captured versus the pretending madness? What is your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's a little bit hard to tell exactly what he was going through or what he was thinking. But obviously, you know, he might have thought that he could get away from Saul and that the Philistines might give him refuge or protection or something. And when they realized, we commented as we were reading through that section that they recognized David as being the king. And so maybe they thought, hey, these guys are our enemies and this guy this guy right here killed goliath this is the guy that they've been singing about hey this might do us some good if we get rid of him and so then david then realizes that he could be in danger and pretends to be crazy and they basically have pity on him and let him go then but when you think about all of this i mean think about all the danger that david was in and that's what's so amazing about this psalm is you have several times in this psalm you have the word afraid and fear brought out. I wonder how how much he faced this kind of thing, you know, as, as Saul was chasing him down and now he's maybe in, in a jail in the, in the Philistines prisons or something like that, wondering whether he was gonna live or not, this idea of fear, nothing like our world today that's so comfortable, Neil. I mean, there, there are certainly Christians in other parts of the world that could relate to this much better than we can. But this concept of, of physically fearing for our life because somebody is trying to hunt us down and kill us, the average person that's listening to this podcast probably cannot relate to that very well. No way. No way. Yeah, and I, I think the interesting part, too, like you said, his reputation preceded him. And people, it was interesting that they even recognized him. You know, that how did they even recognize Were some of those that saw him there at the battle and saw, hey, I know this kid. You know, how old is he at this point in time? even though years had gone past and David had fought several battles for Saul. So maybe they recognized him from the field of battle. And like you said, they either wanted to put him to death or maybe they said, Hey, great. Let's have David on our side because he's a crazy good warrior. So if he's fleeing from Saul, which they may have heard those rumors too, then what, what they're in kind of an interesting position, but King Achish bought his madness. You know, he's pretending that madness. And oftentimes I get that question, was David lying? Was David lying to King Achish? Isn't that wrong? That's one of those questions that you don't really want to try to answer. <laughs> right. And it's kind of like Abraham. You know, you have examples of Abraham and his life. We're going through some of that in our, our summer sermon series right now. But this idea of, you know, the mistakes that David made, and sometimes he didn't demonstrate his faithful confidence and trust in the Lord. You know, right. he, he fell short. And maybe we have an example of that here with David. It's, it's hard to tell the heart. We, we just see the outward actions. But it is interesting, verses 1 and 2, and then again in verses 5 and 6, we have a description of the enemies. And it begins, be merciful to me, O God. Why? For man would swallow me up. There's some, there's some vivid picture language here. I mean, swallow me up this is this is think of jonah 
swallowed by a fish. You know, not much hope there. Fighting all day, he oppresses me all day. Again, these are pretty exclusive terms. Well, my enemies that, would. Oh, go ahead. I didn't want to. I'm sorry to interrupt, but we got to interrupt each other sometimes. Um, yeah. I know that could be. I think I've heard that expression before. The man would swallow me up with that idea. In battle, when you were slicing and dicing, there's often you're spilling the blood. You know that idea of you're, you're almost literally drinking the blood of the, your enemies because it's spattering on you and so forth. So this idea of swallowing up in death, you know, he's expressing a almost an idiom. They're trying to kill me here. They're swallowing me up. They're swallowing me. They want the grave to swallow me up and putting me to death. So there's a lot behind that kind of phrase there, as you're starting to express about what is their intentions. Right. Yeah. Well, and then it goes on fighting all day. He oppresses me, you know, that, that burden, that the constant struggle is not just, it's not just one little battle like against Goliath and it's all over with. This is an, an ongoing continual thing that he's been dealing with for a long time. And it's not one either. He goes on in verse two, my enemies, plural, not just one, this demonstrates they're coming at him from different directions. And so you get Gath, Saul, individuals that Saul was sending to hunt him down, as you mentioned early on in our introduction. You know, these are, there's one after another that David is facing these difficulties. Wherever he turns, he sees, he sees more of it. And then my enemies would hound me all day. Another vivid picture. You know, you think about a, a boar or a deer and they let the hounds out in order to track mm -hmm. them down. You know, that deer doesn't have a chance when they let the hounds out. Now it's, it's going down. They hound me all day for they're where. Tracking them. They're, they're yeah. tracking them. They're tracking them. Right. Yeah. Hunting them down. Yeah. Uh, so, so you have that in verses one and two, and then it comes back to that in verses five and six. And we have a little bit of a different thought in five and six with the, the vocal abuse. They twist my words. Their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather together, they hide, they mark my steps, and then it goes back to that ultimate result when they lie in wait for my life. So it kind of comes back to what you mentioned earlier on with that swallow idea, but they were also trying to turn other people against David by what they were saying about him in order to gain people on their own side and help in hunting him down. So it very, I mean, this is not, this is not the kind of thing we say, boy, I wish I could be in that situation. <laughs> this is I want to be like David. Right. <laughs> not this time in his life. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that whole idea, again, you definitely see so many parallels to the last Psalm we did, Psalm 59, because again, if this is in the course of a week or two, obviously the similar thoughts can be going through his mind as far as escaping, fleeing for his life. So what do you do with the whole, the law here like in other words when we look at the psalms and look at god's word where do we see that david is reminding us that we live in a sinful world well i think we certainly see that in verses one and two and then again in five and six with the way that the, the world is constantly against us but there's also a number of other words that are highlighted for example verse seven iniquity that's one of those those biblical words that we have that's sometimes we use it as a parallel to sin or transgression or trespass or you know some of those those familiar words but they're using sinful actions right and they think they're going to get away with it using their sinful actions and 
certainly David is not, David may be, he, innocent in this, we talked about this a little bit with, with Psalm 59. He may be innocent in the sense that he hasn't done anything to deserve Saul hunting him down, but he's not perfect. He has sin and guilt also. There are times, like we talked about, with him feigning uh, craziness. Well, was, was, that, was that something that he should not have done? I'm not sure that we can get into the heart of David there, but David was, he made all kinds of mistakes. And there's a difference between facing the punishments that we deserve because of mistakes that we've made or sins that we have committed in this life and and those things that are simply because we live in a fallen world and most of this right here is dealing with the fact that we it is very clear that we live in a fallen world there is injustice there is hatred there you know all of those things that are not not just in david's world but in our lives too you know those are things that we see in our own lives and I think that contrast too with the the sinful world versus God's judgment, as you as you pointed out in verse seven, following iniquity, he's asking God to cast down the people, put the end their scheming and their sinfulness and wickedness, and then he's he's contrasting that not by saying he's perfect, but in numbering his wanderings and put my tears into your bottle. Are they not in your book? Can you help me a little bit more with that verse? I know we talked about it a little bit in our pre-study, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, here's another example of some, some again, very beautiful picture language. You number my wanderings. The, the word wandering there is kind of like a, it's related to the idea of a vagabond. And da basically, David was homeless. He was yeah. on the run from Saul, on the road from, on the run from the, the Philistines there for a while. So I think part of this is a, is an, it's an expression of confidence in the Lord that, Yes, things are really difficult right now, but the Lord knows when those things are going to come to an end. You number my wanderings. You know what the extent of those wanderings are going to be, and ultimately you're going to bring them to the to an end. And then maybe even the more vivid one is you put my tears into your bottle. And we talked a little bit about that in our study to begin with that this is the idea of a like a wine skin or something that you put liquids in. But imagine the Lord catching all of David's tears. And I think this seems like there's a lot. Yeah, well, I, I, there's a lot, but also doesn't it seem to indicate that the Lord has, has a concern for David as he, he holds on to those things? He realizes that those things are there. It shows a compassion for David. And then you want to touch on the last phrase there? Are they not in your book? Yeah, I think that really fits well with the first two phrases there. You number my wanderings. In other words, you keep a record of these wrongs, not only the wrongs I've done against you, as he says in verse seven, or that others have done against you, but you keep a record of what I'm going through in my life, Lord. You know all my persecution, you know all my things I'm afraid. In as it says there, are they not in your book? The Lord doesn't miss anything. And I love that phrase because it, uh, the good cross reference there is Malachi 3.16. It says here, it kind of gives a good context of David as well. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Someone always might think, oh, the Lord forgets. No, it's for, so we don't forget that the Lord doesn't forget. So the book of remembrance is the fact that he records everything and that he, his, his knowledge is too wonderful for us to remember. So even though, I, we talk about this with people all the time. 
when I'm talking to elderly people, I try to help them remember the times in their past of this life where the Lord has delivered them and helped them because we, we tend to forget all the different ways the Lord has helped us. And David's saying in these moments where he's panicked and afraid, obviously he wrote about it a little bit after the fact, but again, he's saying, you write these things down, Lord, in your book. And I know this, and this gives me confidence that you're going to continue to be with me. It's that trust that the Lord continues to provide for him, that he's rejoicing in that the Lord is saying, Hey, I'm going to remember these things, even if you forget them. And David's putting his confidence in that. Speaking of confidence, I think one of my favorite sections is verses three and four, which has this theme that comes up over and over again in the Psalm. Whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you. In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? And that's changed just a little bit later on. Very similar to what he says in verse 10. In God, I will praise his word. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? That's quoted in Hebrews 13, that very same verse. So there's this, there's this development. We face difficulties in our lives and it causes us to be afraid when i am afraid but what is what is the solution to our fear in this life trust in the lord confidence in the lord going to him and what is the result of confidence and trust in the lord i will praise his word i will not fear what a what a beautiful reminder for us too in the in the struggles that we have in this life that whatever it is that we might be afraid of it might not have to be Saul with a sword chasing us down and trying to kill us you know maybe a crazy driver you know literally hunting us all over town and trying to run us off the road or something like that That, that's not going to happen hopefully but this idea of fearing whatever it is that we fear go to the Lord because the Lord is bigger than Saul the Lord is bigger than the, the the Philistines the Lord says, trust in me. Reminds me of one of the other Psalms, call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will glorify me. You know, that's exactly what what David is doing here. What he's reminding himself that he needs to do as he faces, faces these difficulties in, in his life. I think it's great because you pointed out in David's fear, he focused on the Lord. He trusted in the Lord and that trust led to him remembering how the Lord had delivered him in the past, whether we're talking about Psalm 59 or any other time of all David's battles, Goliath, whatever it might be. And then that led him once again, even in these moments of being hounded by his enemies, chased by his enemies, pursued, even captured, whether he surrendered or not is you know debatable, but that whole capture is that, oh, hey, I'm going to praise the Lord. And you highlighted so many times here with David's praising the Lord because of his word, because of his promises, because of his faithfulness to him. And so he says in verse 12, I've made my vows before you, Lord, that I'm going to be faithful to you and you alone. And so I will render, I will, I will make my praise to you once again, because he's delivered him. And, you know, powerful gospel here. I think the most powerful gospel in the whole Psalm is verse 13, for you have delivered my soul from death. I understand that the Hebrew could translate that life, but it's very interesting when you think about what is David going to praise the Lord most for? Well, his deliverance from his own iniquity and delivering his soul from eternal death. And so you have this very subtle but very powerful gospel message of the Lord's physical but spiritual and eternal deliverance as well. 
Yeah, I, I keyed in on that verse 13 too. I think that is so important because as you take a look at the psalm, what David is, what he's struggling with is physical oppression. Saul, the Philistines, etc. And we might say, well, God promises that if I become a Christian, if I follow him, if I trust in him, then he will deliver me from these physical difficulties. And you'll notice God never promises that in here. The deliverance that God promises, as you pointed out, Neil, in verse 13, is you have delivered my soul from death. And that's why Jesus came. I, I often think about the ministry of Jesus and how he comes and he has compassion on the people and he heals the lame and he heals the sick and he heals the blind and he heals those that are evil, you know, have a demon possession. But they lived long enough to be oppressed by some other disease later on. If that was the only reason for which Jesus came, we're all in trouble. The purpose that Jesus came, as he tells us, was to give his life as a ransom for many, to come and to seek and to save the lost. And he does that through his death and resurrection. So this verse keys in, as, as you pointed out so clearly, on the gospel. Jesus comes to deliver us from death, our souls from death. And the result of that deliverance from death, he says, you have not kept my feet from falling that I may walk before God in the light of the living. As a result of what Christ has done for us in this deliverance from death, maybe not deliverance from the physical enemies that we will face in time, in eternity, yes, but not in time. But he says that knowing that we will walk before God in the light of the living, I have the opportunity being assured that I am delivered from death. My soul has been delivered to death to live my life to the glory of God and in service of my neighbor. And I, I willingly do that knowing what God has delivered me from, what sacrifice he has made in order to make me his own, that I might live under him in his kingdom and serve him in eternal righteousness and innocence and joy, just as he has risen from death and lives and reigns in all eternity. A beautiful reminder of that, that part of our confession. I think the main thing I'm going to go away with the gospel here is in the same way that David bottles up, asks the Lord to bottle up all of his tears and all that he went through. I want to think about how I can continue to bottle up and have a book of remembrance in my heart for all the Lord teaches me about my savior through his word. I want to bottle up the tears and blood and sadness and suffering of my savior. Like we do during Lent or any other time of the year so that it gives me that confidence of how much my Lord loves me. So that same thing we request the Lord would do for us. I think he really, he requests that we would do the same thing in our hearts because we have these tre this treasure in earthen vessels. And so it's a, it's a blessing to know that this gospel that the Lord has bottled up in us, we get to share freely with others and give thanks. Not, not specifically in this Psalm, but definitely some words that, highlight and pull from other parts of scripture that the Holy Spirit always masterfully does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the one thing to take away from this Psalm is just that confidence in the Lord, the fact that no matter what it is that we face in this life, we can trust in him. He is greater than it and that we will live to praise him. We will live to praise him with our, with our words and with our actions and, and to put, as you said, to put confidence, you know, we will praise his word what he has promised us that we, we can see that we can read it. We can hear it. Those, those things are so clear for us. Yeah. Well, thank you for taking us through this. Always enjoyable to dig into the Psalms with you, Neil. Yeah. Likewise. Again, I appreciate it. 
We pray that our that you who are listening are and joining us are benefiting from this too as you're journeying through these individual psalms with us, looking at the historical background and then also then applying it into our own lives. Lord, keep you this week. We'll look forward to taking up another section of God's word with you next time. With you sometime. Okay. All right. Lord be with you. You too. See you. Bye. Bye.